Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, and mine to lead me through the night. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to continue this series, God Conductors, not just this week, but for another two weeks. And in uh, this series, I want to bring our attention again to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, where the scripture records this, beginning at verse number 1. You should know this, Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, his Uh, mentee, if you will, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Uh, Are we in the last days, preacher? We're certainly closer than we were last year. And we are closer than we were 10 years ago. And if I am to believe scripture, then I look at this passage and realize that as every year passes, it will be more difficult in this society difficult times in the last days. And then he explains why they're very difficult times. In verse 2, people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And I guess verse number five is what really floors me. They will act religious. But they will reject the power that could make them godly. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. Stay away from people like that. They will act religious. The same people Paul listed in those previous verses will act religious. People who love only themselves and their money will act religious. People who consider nothing sacred will still act religious. People who are unloving and unforgiving will act religious. Those who slander and are cruel will talk about their faith. Those that are puffed up with pride will know about Jesus and be familiar with Bible passages. Reckless people who betray their friends will also be able to talk about Noah and Moses and Eve and Ruth and Peter. The the dangerous disconnect between acting religious and being godly is this. They will reject the power that could make them Godly. Paul said, stay away from people 
like that. When I, I read this, what challenges me is not to look around with some kind of McCarthyism suspicion of those around me. No, I think to myself, I don't ever want to become people like that. I don't ever want my life to somehow go into a spiral of delusion and resistance of God until I become people like that. When the word no longer challenges me, when the spirit no longer convicts me, when the power of a powerful God no longer compels me into greater things, rather I defy that impact to remain the same. I don't ever want to be someone that Paul would consider stay away from someone like that. Clearly, you read this passage, it's in comparison to other passages that make it very clear. Following Jesus Christ is more than acting religious. It's becoming godly. Rather than reject such power, I pose today, what can we do? To release that transforming power. What can we do to be conduits of that transforming power? What can I practice? How is my attitude? What is my demeanor that makes the power of God free and ready and accessible in my life? Concerning the flow of electricity There are some materials that resist the flow of electricity and others that conduct the flow of electricity. Dwayne and Steve are both electricians. If I mess this up, see them after service and they'll correct it. Glass and paper and Teflon, rubber and porcelain are resistors that limit the flow of current. But metals, metals like copper and silver, are conductors that facilitate the flow of electricity. And spiritually speaking, we don't want to be glass, Teflon, or porcelain toward God's power. We're not going to go anywhere in the Lord's development to approach Him at arm's length. Rather, we need to be spiritually metallic, ready conductors of his transforming power in our lives. And as God conductors, I draw our attention back to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy and look particularly at verses 6 and 7. After talking about people to stay away from, he then addresses those who are impacted. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes And when the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires, such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth. Being vulnerable, being susceptible. In this case, he notes women as being vulnerable. However, vulnerability is a human condition that affects men as well as women. Vulnerable, being in danger, being unguarded. And then he gives 
two reasons, one of which I'll talk about today. One reason for this unguarded vulnerability is this, controlled by various desires. Controlled by various desires. Our daily environment emphasizes and caters to desires. One way that our desires are leveraged is through marketing. Anything that's used to communicate with customers or potential customers in a way that persuades them to buy products or services is marketing. Marketing includes things like advertising and social media and coupons and sales, even how products are displayed. Surely you notice there are times when your favorite brand of some food item is nowhere to be found at eye level. Because what's at eye level is what that store wants you to buy. That's their highest profit margin, eye level. Whereas what you really want might be almost on the ground. Or way up behind on a top shelf where a stubby guy like me can't reach it. That's marketing. Marketing is designed to grab our attention and make us desire. That grocery store hopes when you get there looking for a particular item, even if it's on their app, you get to that aisle, you can't see it, they're counting on the fact that you'll reach to the one that's at eye level and they have impacted our desires, grabbed our attention. It's through broadcast, it's through print, it's through hard copy, it's electronic means. We're bombarded with marketing efforts nearly all day long. I can leave the house on any morning feeling like my life is moving along just fine, but if I pay attention to and I'm convinced by the marketing messages that barrage my eyes and ears and come across my path, I'm liable to come back home at the end of the day thinking, man, I got nothing. I could leave that morning satisfied and come home that evening depressed and diminished and feeling lacking in my life. And if we allow these desires, they will control us. Human interests, they're different for all of us in this room. I could go down a list of the things that I would desire and you would think, well, that's ridiculous. And you could go down a list of things you desire and I would return the favor. Our interests are different. I can't go through a list of all the different interests. But we need to understand that our desires and vulnerabilities then are different. We need to understand that any interest in our lives can become a vulnerability. When I, without thinking or without uh, concern, allow desires to overwhelm our focus, when we deny transforming power of God, it can be done as easily as being controlled by our various desires. Every week, every week, in this auditorium, When I get up to speak, or whoever does, we battle the various desires 
to check our phones every weekend. Happens every time. Now that I've said it, I made it worse. But it happens. It's a desire. It can control us. It can take us. I I pose then, what can we do? What can we do to conduct or release godly power in our lives instead? How do we allow God's design to be fulfilled in our lives? 2 Timothy 3, now looking down at verse number 10, I draw your attention to the same chapter. So Paul's talked to Timothy about these challenges, and then he says to Timothy, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Paul spoke of his purpose in life. He He expected that Timothy knew his purpose by his words and his actions. This teaching and his living combined to illustrate his purpose. In another place in scripture, perhaps familiar to you, in Philippians 3, beginning at verse 12, Paul made his purpose very clear. He wrote this, I don't mean to say, that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. From these verses, I think we find three elements that define Paul's focus. When Paul said, this one thing I focus on, I believe there are three things that define that focus. Again, back to what I just read, if you'll think about in 2 Timothy 3.10, he told Timothy what I teach and how I live. Paul invited Timothy to remember how he lived. His focus was more than words and it was more than an ideal. It was in his heart, it was in his head, but it became active in his hands. It wasn't just thought about and talked about. It wasn't just an emotion or something in his heart. It was in his hands. It became an activity. We can see that in Philippians also when he said, I press on to possess. I press on to reach. And evidently, he used the word press intentionally because there was resistance It wasn't an easy go. It wasn't an automatic thing. But he was active to come against any opposition and said, listen, more than what I say and more than what I think and what I declare and what I have in my emotions, I'm going to live this. I'm going to practice this. There are going to be some real things. You can take notes. You can take pictures. You can mark my bank account. There will be efforts and elements to note. It's not just a fuzzy feeling in my heart or some thoughts in my brain. There is proof by my living of my purpose. 
Action defined his purpose. His hands followed his head and his heart. I've been, I've mentioned it, I've been tutoring a couple hours a week at Everett Community College. Part of that time I sit in a classroom. And during class there are practice problems and I'm available to work with the teacher and to help the students. And so I I watch them do their work. I watch them copy. The teacher will say, all right, let's all do this problem or one in their uh, resources. Let's do this problem. And I, I watch people copy the problem, listen how the teacher instructs, giving them mathematical operations. And then he says, when you go to practice it, I watch students copy the practice problem and then just sit there. Not all of them, but there's a handful. They write out the problem and then they wait. When enough people are finished and the teacher goes to the board and then he walks through the practice problem, then they write down all the steps as he writes it. And then they write down the final answer. They don't try to solve the problem on their own. They're in the environment. They are hearing the concepts. They are watching them. They attend the class. But they're not living what they're supposed to have learned. They're not putting it into practice. And what those students don't seem to realize is that practice is what cements learning. What's what's happening in that class, in their hearts, in their heads, has got to be lived out in their hands. They've got to practice it or they'll never pass the test. Likewise, that's true for disciples. I'm glad you're in the house today hearing the Word of God. I'm, I'm thrilled that you are participating in our worship today, experiencing the power of God. But the truth is, it's got to be put into practice tonight and tomorrow and at work on Wednesday. We must live these things. In Philippians 4.9, Paul made it really clear. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. The prerequisite is to practice. What we'd rather have is for somebody to lay their hands on us or pray for us and then peace just come in our lives. But the reality is practice comes before peace. And the reason some of us do not enjoy the fullness of God's peace in our lives... Some of us even question, is the Bible really true? Where are the promises? But the truth is, we're not practicing. We're just listening. We like a good stir in our hearts on occasion. But I'm not putting it to use. And can I compel you, if that fits your situation today, hear me. The peace of God that dwells with us is not just goosebumps from a prayer. But it is the result of practicing what's in my head and in my heart has got to be realized in my hands. And having done that, we enjoy the peace of God. God conductors are active. The focus is active. I read something recently 
by author Eugene Wilson. I believe it was in the Resource Road Antivity. One of our faith groups is using it this quarter. I recall him talking about early mornings and how he uses them as a time to focus. And he wrote, I'm not, during that time, I do not check email. I don't even take my phone to the place where I'm going to be. I don't read the news. I remove all things and anything else. In fact, he talks about waking up much earlier than anyone else in his household just so it's quiet. Because he doesn't want anything to take his focus off of his purpose for that time. In Philippians 3 and 13, Paul wrote, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. The way that Paul remained focused is that he kept his attention on what was forward. He attended himself to what was coming. He remained aware. He established a priority. As he's looking forward, his eyes, his head is set forward in the kingdom. He didn't look left. He didn't look right. He wasn't distracted, but straight ahead in a circular pattern, if you will, he kept his face on that one degree of God's future and ignored the 359 degrees around the rest of the radius. He kept focused on on God. We've got email programs and apps on our various devices. Hopefully we have filters to help block spam. I wish email servers would hire the spam programmers. It was about time I upped the settings on my email to block spam. Some other joker spam company gets through. We're hiring the wrong guys. Why do you want to get rid of spam? Because it's worthless. Because it's distracting. I was with somebody recently and I looked on their iPad or their phone. I remember which it was. And on their incoming emails... There were thousands of emails and a notification. For a person like me, that's like false doctrine. <laughs> I cannot live that way. Like, I got to get rid of that stuff. I have to take care of that. Somebody else saw it and said, you just need to delete that email and get a brand new one. <laughs> what do we do? We put on filters. To get rid of the non-essential, the side stuff. To allow us to know, I'm just going to get the emails that matter. In our homes, in our wireless service and different programs, we're able to use parental controls for our children. We're able to determine what devices can get on the internet in the house and how long they're allowed to be on the internet. And we can even use controls to block certain sites so that we are narrowing that round table of possibilities to just do things that are good and right. 
I would tell us today that the Word of God speaks many times about the power of our thoughts and our attention. It's reiterated often. Notice Proverbs 4 and 25. The wise man writes, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet following from following evil. Isaiah said it like this. People will look to their creator and turn their eyes to the Holy One. The prophet Michael said, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. That's the Old Testament. In the New, Paul reminded the Corinthians in 4 and 8. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. The things we cannot see will last for." Ever. We, we make a purposeful, intentional choice. I am not focusing on the stuff around me that is spam mail of this culture. I'm not giving my attention to the many things promoted to me from many avenues that in the end are worthless and temporary. No, if I'm going to focus, I'm going to be a God conductor, then I make a choice. And that choice is to fix my eyes on what matters the most. To the Philippians, Paul inspired them this way in 4 and 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent And worthy of praise. Oh, maybe you've known this for years, but this just hit me recently. If that kind of thinking were automatic, or it occurred naturally, then Paul would not have needed to write that down. If our default was to focus on God, If our default was to think about what's good, honorable, right, and holy, then Paul would not have challenged us. Evidently, even in biblical times, before rapid communication and cell phones and internet and all those things, humans still had challenges with just looking forward to what God has promised and prepared. Even then, men and women struggled with the various desires that were able to control them and turn them away from God's perfecting plan. So the apostle said, listen, disciples, you need to fix your thoughts. Look forward and attend to the things eternal. I I tell us today, God conductors are attentive to what matters most. Godly action. It's motivated by attention. It's also motivated by attraction. Our hands, they follow our head. They also follow our hearts. 
Again, I'll have you notice Philippians 3.12. Paul pens, I, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on, and look what he says, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. What are you pushing for, Paul? To possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul was attracted to Jesus' planned perfection. Paul, there's something about Paul that he remembers that when the Lord first impacted him, he first understood the message of Jesus Christ and, and forgiveness and washing away sins and the infilling of the Spirit. There was something in Paul that realized right over there that is what Christ wants me to be. Right here is where it starts. He's possessed me. He's empowered me. He's cleansed me. But right, that's where I'm headed. And so when he writes to Philippians later on, he, he finds himself farther along. He's not what he used to be. He's in fact accomplished a great many things for the kingdom of God. And yet staying fresh in his mind, he sees what God wants him to be. And he sees it as an incredible opportunity, not as a threat, not as a you don't measure up, not as a you're not what I want you to be, but as a look at the possibility that remains. He said, I press on for that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul said, I haven't already attained, and that, that attitude has got to be real in every God conductor's life. If you and I are going to be conductors of His Spirit, we have to constantly know, I'm not everything that I need to be. But in like manner, we're not depressed by that. We're not defeated by that. We are encouraged and challenged that Christ Jesus has even better things in store for me. He's, he's got an even bigger picture than what I can see. There's more for me. Perhaps Paul recalled the faithful teachings of his youth. In Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Paul knew the importance of his heart, the importance of his determination, the importance of being attracted to God's path. Heart motivation propelled his course. And, and those faithful teachings, not just knowing about guarding his heart and his attraction to the things of God, it would have also pointed him to what those things are. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, the prophet said this, I know the plans I have 
for you. The prophet wrote it down. God is saying it. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. When, when Paul looked to the purpose that God had for him, when he, he looked forward to the perfection that Christ desired for him, he could hear the words recorded by Jeremiah, the very words of God, the plans are good. The plans will give you future. The plans will give you a hope. Can I challenge somebody today? There's a future in Jesus Christ. There's hope in Jesus Christ. There's good things in Jesus Christ. In Genesis, I won't read the whole passage. In Genesis 15, the Lord had told Abram, don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. You're going to be awesome and have a big old family. Abram says, well, that's nice. I appreciate that, but I don't have any kids. And if I die today, everything I own is going to my servant. Got no kids. The Lord talks back to him and says, no, that's not what it's going to happen. And then in verse number 5, 15 and 5. I'm sorry, Crystal, I jumped ahead. Thank you. Look up into the sky. And count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. The Lord said, look up. Old Abram is just looking around. Well, as I see it, for me and my humanity, this isn't going to play out. And the Lord, for his illustration, I don't believe it's accidental. He could have pointed to other illustrations talking about the many and innumerable. But he said, look up. Look up. Count the stars in the sky. Tell me what you find. That's how many descendants you'll have. And the Bible says, Abram, believe the Lord. Look up. In other words, be amazed at God's grand design. Stand in awe of His creative ability and authority. God conductors remain and maintain an awe and a wonder for the design of God in this world and for their eternal lives. And what is that plan? Is there a definition of that plan? There certainly is. In 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, we're already God's children. But He's not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know we will be like Him. We will see Him as He really is. There's a promise right there that Paul could grasp onto and recognize. I, I don't know the mechanics of the whole thing. When I get caught up into heaven to be with my Savior, I don't know exactly how this body's going to change. I, I can't define what's going to happen to all of my human systems and the new ones I'm going to get. And I can't tell you exactly what Christ will be like, but I know this. When I get there, I'm going to be blessed with that body and it's going to be like His. It's a promise that I have to hang on to. Philippians 3.14, part of our original passage, Paul said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us to receive the heavenly prize. I preach today that God conductors are attracted to the perfection that Jesus Christ...
has for us. We, we have to keep our hearts available to God and attracted to that heavenly prize. God conductors. Remain focused by being active. And that activity is motivated, inspired by attentiveness and by attraction. So knowing this, if I, if I would be a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, then I, I have to ask a few questions. Is there anything in my life that's denying God's transforming power? Is there anything that's keeping me from spiritually inspiring influences? Is there anything preventing a focused attention on God's future? Anything that's scattering my thoughts and turning my eyes away. If so, sincere followers confess these to Christ and remove any resistance. Preacher, would you please go down a long laundry list of all the things that could be resistors? I would tell you that's impossible because of our various desires in our lives. Ordinary human things we can allow to overcome and control our focus. People have lost out with God over the most ordinary things. They're not sinful because they're listed in some scripture text somewhere, though those are to be found. But they are destructive and they're destroying and they're distracting because we've allowed those various things to control our desires and take us off the course and the path. And we're deceived into thinking, as long as I check off my attendance a few weekends a month, as long as I wave my hand a good bit when I'm there, perhaps chuck a dollar or two into the offering everything will be cool but my Bible says there's going to be a day when people are deceived even of themselves to think as long as I act religious then God is working on me no my friend the actions are important the actions are valuable but the actions will never be everything can't just act religious. We must be conduits to release the power. Maybe, maybe in this room, you're sitting here and thinking, no, I, I don't have anything like that going on in my life. There's nothing resisting happening in my life. Do you know that even conducting materials still have resistance in them? As a metal, copper is a conduit, but there's still resistance in that copper. Silver is a conduit, but there's still resistance in that silver. In fact, here's, 
Here's what I understand about electricity and conductors. That if I've got a long, skinny copper wire, the longer the wire and the skinnier the wire, the more resistance in that wire. But you take the same kind of copper and you get a bigger wire, a fatter wire, a thicker diameter wire, and you shorten that wire. There's more conductivity. And maybe in the house today, we would pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, preacher, I got a God connection. I got me a wire running to God. I'm hooked up. But I would ask us to consider, is that a, is that a little thin, skinny, long wire? And perhaps I'm connected, but the flow is just trickling. And God is at quite a distance. Perhaps I would inspire those today, if that is fitting, to say, you know what? It's time to shorten the distance in that wire. And it's time to add some layers of copper and to thicken that diameter. It's time to open up the conductivity to God in my life. It's time to step into some new... I'm thankful for the little, the little jolt I get from that wire on occasion. Now, I'm ready to allow that power to be active in my life. Some of us are living on flashbulb Christianity. A little power and a little flash periodically. And the Lord's desire is a flood lamp perpetually powered. Here's a deal that really works on me. Conductors are typically metal, copper, silver. And even in those, there's a wee little bit of resistance. But there are things called superconductors. And in a superconductor, there is no resistance whatsoever. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Restricting the flow of power. Pure power flowing powerfully without any hindrance or restraint. I don't know about you, but I'm inspired by that possibility in my walk with God. I'm inspired by the possibility of opening up my mind and my spirit, my attentiveness, my attraction, my action to open up my life to such an extent that God can just move. And when I need to be challenged and provoked, He's just on me. There's nothing holding that back. And when I need to be inspired and encouraged, it's just there. <laughs> and when He has new things in mind for me in this human flesh, that it's just there. Would you bow your heads?
Lord, in our minds and in our spirits, we open this message, this portion of the service by praying and call me, speak to me and challenge me. I pray, God, that your spirit right now and the power of your word accomplishes that in me and in us, in this body today, right now. Lord, I pray that if there are any resistors in my life, there are things that are holding me back. There are things that are distracting me. There are things that are confusing me. There are things that are limiting me. Lord, I release them. I first confess that challenge. I confess that problem and I I release that and I repent of that. I desire to move away from that, Lord. I, I don't need a long list of do's and don'ts to help me to follow and pursue you. Rather, I want to be impacted and directed by your word and spirit like a superconductor. I, I want to be available and unencumbered and unhindered. And Lord, allowing you to move and minister is only you can do. And Lord, whatever the connection that I have, Lord, whatever the length of that copper wire is, I want to spool that thing up a little bit right now. I want to reel that thing in right now. Invite you closer. Lord, whatever the diameter of that wire that's allowing your power, I... In my spirit, in my understanding, oh God, I want that to thicken. I want, Lord, there to be a a more transparent and free flow of your glory into my life. If you feel that way in this auditorium right now, would you slide a hand or both into the air just as an element of surrender and desire to the Lord? Would you do that in this place right now and begin to pray? Would you, Lord, I want to open up my availability, Lord. I want to open up my mind and my spirit, oh God. I'm opening up my head and my heart and my hands, oh God. I'm, I'm making myself available, Lord, of who you are and what you would do and how you would challenge me, oh God, how you would provoke me, how you would inspire me, oh God, how you would call me closer, Lord. I, I'm aware and available, Lord, for the perfection that you have planned, Lord, for the destination that you envision, oh God, I believe it's good things. I I believe, oh Lord, it is trusting things. There is hope in a future with you. And I'm I'm open right now, Lord. I'm open right now. Come on, that's awesome. The power of the Lord is moving in this house and speaking in this place right now. Thank you for your sincerity. Thank you for your openness right now. Thank you for your genuineness. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. Flows in the Holy Ghost.